Well, it's uh, fantastic to be here. Like Chet said, we've known each other for a long time and uh, really have grown our love for each other and his family just to see God bring him along. He wasn't married when I first met him and seeing all how God has uh, brought him such an amazing wife and children and, and uh, just uh, God's good. God really wants us to prosper. He really wants to use us to make an impact on the world. I, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have been following the news. It's just this guy that went and killed the two policemen in New York. And, you know, it's just like so shocking, so sad, just random. You go up and kill, you know, like that. And I think, you know, this guy, I told my wife, I think everybody wants something to live for, some cause. Now, obviously, some causes are terrible. You know, that's a, you know, we'd say that's horrible. That's not what God would want. Martin Luther King Jr. wouldn't, you know, promote that. And it's, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But there's the kingdom of heaven. And God, uh, God's got a cause for us. Well, first of all, God's cause is that we come to know Him. Because Isaiah said that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus. And we saw this little story up here you know, act, acting out of the, the birth of Christ. And, and it's uh, God's gift to us was His Son. Because Jesus was born to die on the cross. Uh, no, it wasn't morbid and depressing and sad. It was love. And it was victorious because He rose three days later. And He knew He would. He knew from the moment he was born, he was going to be dying on the cross. He also knew he'd be raised from the dead, and he did it all for you and for me and for your family back in Japan and your friends in Japan. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God loves a world, each and every person. Every person you know, every person you will meet, every person you have met. God loves them, and He wants them to know Him. But we're separated from God. Isaiah said, your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And your iniquity, you know, I mean, has, has caused this, our, our selfishness. And so that's the bad news, but the good news is God voluntarily didn't have to, but chose to make a way, as, as Rachel was singing, make a way that we could know Him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. So that's good news. That's, that's what Christmas is all about. And as Christians, of course, I hope we celebrate Christmas every day, every week. Every, you know, that it's just... Uh, because God didn't come to give us... Jesus didn't come to give us a religion. He said uh, He wants us to know Him. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. So knowing God personally is having eternal life. If uh, you're not sure you're going to heaven, if you're not sure your sins are forgiven, uh, God wants you to know. He really wants you to know that and be confident. I know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. Not because I'm good, because I'm a sinner too. The Bible says all have sinned, you know, including me. You all have sinned. All of us are selfish. All of us have gone our own way. And uh, we're just naturally rebellious. But God has made a way that we can have forgiveness because He still so loves the world. He loves you very much and wants you to know Him. So if you've never come to know Him, 
He's pursuing you. I met with a guy this past week. Um, it's kind of a long story, interesting story. His sister, actually, we met him about probably what we figured to you know, ten or fifteen years ago at our house. He's Ukrainian. He and his mom came to our house, and they were asking us. I used to do a lot of mission trips to Ukraine before we actually moved there. <laughs> Finally, my missionary friends over there said, "Why don't you come back and forth all the time? Why don't you just move over here?" <laughs> you know. So we did. Um, <laughs> For six years, but uh, we met Alexander and his mother. They came to our house to give us some presents, I think, to take back to Ukraine when we when I went on a mission trip. At that time, they were just short-term trips, so we were we were uh, uh, the the mail. You know, we would take things. It was a lot cheaper and safer. You your gifts would actually get there if somebody took them. Well, more than likely, if, <laughs> if your suitcase didn't get lost or something. But uh, so anyway, he came to our house. But uh, just recently, his sister, who was one of our translators in Kiev, asked me if I would get in touch with him. And I, you know, I didn't even know this was the same person until last couple, two, two days ago. I actually met him again. He's living Warner Robins down near Macon. So Alexander, since then, has gotten married seven years ago. They have a five-year-old son. And a week ago yesterday, his wife left him. And yeah, it's just, I mean, he's just torn up. And um, so I, I've been talking with him on the phone, but he contacted me. His sister, sister wrote me and said, Would you, can you help him? And I, at that time, I you know, didn't remember who he was. And I just met him, you know, like I said, at our house, just five minutes. Um, I said, sure, I'd be glad to help him. And she told him, and we communicated. And then he actually, I gave him my phone number through Facebook. He calls me up, and we talked, and we've talked several times. And I said, Alexander, the most important thing for you to restore your marriage is your relationship with God. Do you really know Him? He said, I think I've gone to church, and, and yeah, I know what it's like. I went to church, and I thought I was a Christian, but I really wasn't. So God, in His grace, opened my eyes to show me I was lost so that I could get saved. And I, I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Christ. Um, saying all that, just to, I can tell you more about Alexander later, we had a great talk. I'll just summarize when I met with him. He's very much considering giving his life to Christ right now uh, in the middle of his storm and a really difficult time in his life. I said, if you give your life to Christ, then you'll be able to love your wife as you've never loved her before. And uh, the most important thing for you right now is to take care of yourself, that you come to know him and you have the Spirit of God living in you to give you the ability to forgive, to be patient, kind, sacrificial, and then she'll, then you can help her, you know, come to know Christ. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you as an evangelist. What is my job? Is my job just to evangelize? Well, of course it is, but it's not that. In Ephesians 4, God has given certain gifted people to the church, which is us, to equip the saints to do the work of service. See, it's not my job to do it all. I wouldn't want to take it from you. I want to help you and equip you and train you and motivate you to love unbelievers because God does. God still so loves the world and God lives in you if you know Him. And He wants to love through your heart and speak through your mouth. He wants you to take the gospel back to Japan and wherever you go. So let me pray for us and let's ask God to lead this time. Lord, thank you for... The opportunity to be here with these dear saints this morning and thank you for your tremendous love and that you gave your son. Thank you. You're not a selfish, self-centered God. You're not a taker. You are a giver. 
And you've demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you so much, God. Thank you that we can respond to that in repentance and faith and we can have eternal life. We can know you. What a privilege. We love you and just ask you to guide our time, ask you to speak to us. And uh, we trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a little short PowerPoint. I want to go flying through this thing because I really want us to talk about a story at the end. Um, so um, let's start here. Lifestyle evangelism. How do you respond when you hear missionary stories about people coming to Christ? I don't know about you, but I would hear my brother was trying to get me to go to Russia back in the early 90s when the country opened up and you know, I'd hear of four or 500 people, 800 people coming to Christ in a week with a team of, and I thought, are they telling the truth? You know, they're, they're Christians. They've got to be telling the truth. Is this really true? You know, but, you know, and we may see one or two people come to know the Lord, you know, in our church a year or maybe 10 or five or 10 or, you know, on a good year. And I thought, are they speaking evangelistically? No. You ever heard that term? <laughs> you know, like inflating or exaggerating? But I went with my brother in June of 94, the first time I went, and our team had about 18 people. And my brother, I'd never been overseas, and my brother said, okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we have two halves of the city. I'm going to give you these, this half of the team, Steve, and you're going to go over and do door-to-door evangelism during the day and have evangelistic services at night where people, you Americans, get up and share your testimony. We'll show the Jesus film. And then I'm going to be over here in this half of the city. And I was like, are you kidding? You're going to just plop that. I've never been over here. I've never used a translator. I've never, you know. And so we did it. It was great. I mean, it was one of the best weeks of my life. People really did come to know Christ. And they truly were repentant. And we didn't go over there like, we've got all the answers. We went over there as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We went over there saying, look, we have problems. We've sinned. We've fallen short. God, in His mercy, and we were very open and honest about our own weaknesses, our mistakes, our sin, and they responded, and they were very appreciative. So it was, it was really amazing. But I hear these stories before, and I'd come back, and these are different responses. Should I become a missionary? Well, that was my first, you know, my wife I came back, and well, maybe we should move to Russia. And, uh, or, what else? Go ahead. Number two. Should I go on a short-term mission trip? And I went on many more. As a matter of fact, I started leading them. And I led like over 30 different teams to Russia and Ukraine, all over both countries. Um, or should I give money, you know, to help people who are missionaries? Or is there a fourth option? And the answer is yes. You already are a missionary. You don't have to get on a plane and go overseas to become a missionary. I got this from uh, a friend of mine, newsletter. Just wanted to read you this one line. Uh, he says, Every time I set foot on the mission field, I am in awe of this truth as I see God's work unfold in amazing ways right before my eyes. Every time I set foot on the mission field. And I say, I'm not trying to pick, I mean, I appreciate very much what this person is doing. So I'm not, you know... Uh, Poo-pooing on that. It's just that you don't have to get in the plane and go overseas to Tanzania to be a missionary. You are one. It's who you are all the time. Okay, let's look at this verse. Oh, wait. Okay. It's not something we do become. It's who we are. Here's the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.20. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. All of us, every Christian, is a representative of Jesus Christ. Uh, Though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus said in, in Acts, when He's getting ready to leave, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will what? Be my witnesses. He didn't say in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. He didn't say you will go witnessing or you will go and do missionary work. It's who you are. You will be my witnesses. So when are we God's witnesses? Every moment of every day. Right here, this afternoon, if you're going shopping and you're in Walmart and you're driving, you are a witness and wherever you go and Monday at work, people are watching you all the time. And what are they looking for if they're not a believer? They're looking to see you confess to know Christ. You, you profess to be a Christian. What difference has God made in your life? Is it something they want? Is it something attractive? Does God make you joyful? Do they see the peace? Do they see you really care about them? See, it really doesn't matter what we say if we don't live it to some degree. What, what we don't want to be is what? Hypocrites, right? We say one thing over here and we live one thing, you know, oh, I love Jesus. I go to church on Sunday. And then Monday you're cussing at work and you're complaining about the boss and God, I don't like this weather. They don't pay me enough. And, and let me tell you about Jesus. Say, <laughs> no, no way, you know. So we are witnesses and God wants to change us. He really wants us to be joyful all the time. Thankful. In everything, give thanks. And then people will see God's alive in us, and they'll be attracted. That's how I became a Christian. I saw these people who were Christians. I thought I was one, and I saw their joy, and I saw how they loved me, and I saw how they loved others. And I thought, whatever they've got, I sure want it. I didn't really understand it because I always thought I, thought I was a Christian. And then I had to understand, they, I don't know Christ. I don't really know I'm going to heaven. I don't know I'm, my sins are forgiven. And these people have something, and I want it. And that's what God wants to use you. He wants to use all of it. It's who we are. Okay. This is what I mentioned before. You know, He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. They're not to do all the work of service. They're, we as leaders are to be role models to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. What is God doing in your life? What is God's will? He's using everything, your job, your children, everything in life, every challenge, every good thing to help you become like Jesus Christ. Say, when somebody asks, what's God doing in your life? He's making me more like Jesus. That's what He's trying to do. So are we going to cooperate with Him? Are we going to agree with Him? Are we going to walk humbly with Him? Okay, this is what God, God's doing a beautiful thing. He's, he's made me His child. Now He's trying to make me every day more like Jesus, more joyful, more kind, more of a servant, more filled with the Spirit as you were praying earlier, as we were praying earlier. Okay, what is the evangelist's job? Go ahead. To equip all the saints to do the work, to love the lost people and to lead them to Christ. 
Now you may say, well, I'm not an, I'm an evangelist, but it doesn't say that. God can use your kindness, you know, and it's so simple. Evangelism, it can be fun. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be, you know, something you think I've got to really go do, you know, and really work up some kind of energy. Next time you're checking out, just be friendly. Hey, how are you? Ask, ask people who serve you in a restaurant. They come out, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? There's a guy, if you want to read a good book about evangelism, Bill F F uh, William Fay, F-A-Y-E, I believe, wrote a book, uh, Share Jesus Without Fear. And um, one time he was on an airplane, and one of the flight attendants was, I think, trying to open a bottle of wine or somehow had a difficulty. And uh, I think earlier, though, he'd given her his testimony track or something. But anyway, he, he said, can I help you with that? And, uh, and, and, she, and he helped her open the bottle or something like that. And uh, she came back later on and she, and she said, you know, nobody's ever really asked me how I was doing. Nobody's ever, you know, and you offered to help me. And she said, I really want to hear more about, about Christ. So that one little deed, the little things you do, you'd be surprised. Show people respect and kindness, and they will respond. Long story short, he led her to Christ. Next day, she was flying, and she was one of the plane, on one of the planes that flew into the Twin Towers. So God knew. God used Bill, William Fay, to lead her to Christ. And it just started with a simple thing. And you can do that. You can do these things. You can be nice to people. <laughs> you can be kind. You can be interested in their life. And that opens them up. We'll read more about that in a minute, okay? An example is to be an ex I mean, example. <laughs> an evangelist is to be an example. You've got to, we can't teach something very effectively that we're not doing to some degree, okay? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. It's like you parents. Your children are watching what you do. Yes, they listen to what you say, but they really are watching how you live. Do you love each other? Do you love as parents? Do you speak kindly to your spouse? Do you speak kindly to them? Are you gentle and patient? Are you joyful when things don't go your way? They're watching. And the disciple, after he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. God wants us to be examples, okay? Especially as as a leader to training others. So he must train others to follow Jesus' method. Model and send. Mark 3.13, Jesus chose 12 to be with him and then to send them out to preach. Why with him? Why couldn't he just do it online? <laughs> By proxy, you know? Because more is caught than taught. I remember just being with different people, and we'll, we'll talk about these guys in a minute. Uh, different people that I, I just watch them love people. I watch them evangelize. And that I was inspired and motivated. How? This isn't, you know, difficult. I can do what they do. And it's fun. It's fun to be used by God to love people, to see people pass from death to life. Can you think of anything greater you could give somebody than a relationship with God, eternal life? I can't. It's the greatest miracle. Okay, so what's our responsibility? He uses us 
as we're faithful. In Luke 16, 10, He was faithful in a very little thing, will be faithful in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing, is uh, unrighteous also in much. It's kind of interesting to read that. Kind of, <laughs> because of the wave in the curtain over there, I'm kind of like, reading up and down. All right, and then Jeremiah 20, or 12, verse 5. If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Why did I put that in there? <laughs> because I think God wants us to be faithful right here with just a few. Just love people right here, and then God will give you more. We think, I go overseas and I can really love God and I can really be a missionary if I go overseas. You're not any more spiritual being overseas than you are right here. We met a guy one time. I thought, why did he come overseas? He was a missionary. You know, because this guy had not been very fruitful back in the United States, but he was willing to go, so they sent him. My wife and I looked at each other and thought, how did he get over here? You know, and it wasn't, a, you know, just critical of the guy, but it's like he needed to be faithful. He needed to run with footmen first so that he could compete with, in, you know, with horses in a more difficult situation. Being a missionary overseas is very difficult, very challenging. So God wants us to be ready for that if He sends us there. How do you get ready for that? Be faithful right here this afternoon, tomorrow, to love people. There are no shortcuts in effect, effective evangelism. Romans 10.1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. It has to be our heart's desire. It has to be cultivated. What do you want? Do you really want people to come to God? To come to know Him? I want them to for, because I know God does. And I want them to because He's changed my life. And I know He can help them. I want them to have what I have. I told Alexander that the other day when we met at the, where was that, the Huddle House or something. It was the only place there you could eat. <laughs> so, only place at that exit. I said, Alexander, I want you to have what I have. He said, thank you, I appreciate that. So anyway, hopefully, pray for him. Pray that he would come to Christ soon and pray for his wife. Uh, incarnational evangelism. Our friend Kenyon shared the gospel with... In Ukraine, she can't speak Russian very well, but she heard a girl speaking in English to some of her friends, and she was talking about her difficult life, and uh, I don't know how much detail to go into, but she had different relationships with men and been taken advantage of and all this stuff, and Kenyon overheard this, started talking with her, engaged Evelyn in conversation, Evelina, and... Uh, Evelina didn't have a place to live. She was being kicked out, living with this guy at the time, American guy, you know, like twice her age, <laughs> one of those situations. And, um, but Kenyon basically loved her, shared the gospel with her, but it started on a bus. It started with just being friendly. It started with just showing an interest. Okay, sharing Christ while hunting. <laughs> I will never forget this. My friend Robert Dickinson is one of the most amazing hunters. You know, he's always bagging something, and I come back usually with nothing. Well, I saw a couple squirrels, and, you know, I saw this. And he's like, I shot two turkeys this morning. He's like, wait a minute. I didn't see anything. But Robert and I went dove hunting one time. I don't know if you've ever been dove hunting or know anything about it. 
you go to a field and you usually get around the outside of the field and there's corn or something there in the dover trying to come in and eat and they're really fast and they fly all through there and you try to shoot them and usually you're humiliated and they, birds fly out the other side. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun. So Robert and I were going dove hunting and this, we're uh, at this field and we're, it was before the hunt started. And so uh, Robert and I, I'm looking around, where should we go? I see any birds flying in this way or that way. You know, where would be a good place to stand? And all of a sudden I hear Robert talking to this stranger over here out of the corner of my ear over here. It's like, he's talking to them about Jesus Christ. I thought, wait a minute, it's not Sunday. Um, we're not in a church building. How did, how did this happen? Why did it happen? It happened because Robert wanted it. My heart's desire, Romans 10.1. That was his heart's desire. My prayer to God is for their salvation. You know what your heart's desire is because you ask God for it. What do you pray about? What you want. God wants you to want what He wants. Are you praying for your neighbors? Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your classmates? You really, we will, if we care about them, we will pray for them because only God can open their eyes. Only God can save them. Only God can change their heart. So Robert's over there sharing the gospel with this total stranger on a dove field while we're out hunting. Lifestyle evangelism. And I will never forget his example. He didn't have to say, okay, Steve, now watch this. We're going to go out and, and knock on doors and do some evangelistic training. He just had to live it. And see, that's what God... We're all missionaries. If you think if we all started thinking this way, it's not just Chet's job. It's not just the evangelist's job. It's, not, it's my job and my privilege to tell people about Christ anywhere and everywhere I can. To have that fire in us, to have that compassion where you meet a stranger. I don't know how we started the conversation, but it's like, wow, that was cool. Okay. Sharing Christ at a restaurant. How many times you know, have I... Uh, engaged uh, people at a restaurant, give my testimony track. But, it, you know, it starts, it starts just, again, being friendly. It helps to give a nice tip. <laughs> They'll read your <laughs> testimony track. <laughs> but be, respecting people, being nice, being kind, being interested in their life, asking them about themselves really helps. But uh, so many times I've... And I've got different... Uh, Examples of some testimony tracks of different friends have written, and I've got mine from a million years ago. This is my old one. I actually have it. I took this picture, and, and uh, this is like 40 years ago, and this is one of my first testimony tracks. That's why it's so big. It wouldn't ever fit in your pocket. Um, but these are a lot smaller. and fit in your purse, your pocket. I'd encourage you to write your story. Nobody can tell your story like you can. And uh, if you write something and say, you know, I wrote this, and... This is, this is me. I, say, I, I give mine out now. It's about this size. And he's got a picture. I use the same picture. I said, this is me 40 years ago. I said, oh, really? No, you know. And then I said, this is a story of how God changed my life, how I, how I came to know him personally. And I've got my email address on the back, so I'll say, uh, if you'd like have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. Now, does this, is this the best way to lead people to Christ? No, Paul said, by any and every means I might save some. You know what this does for me, though? It makes me think about people. 
makes me stop being so focused on what I've got to buy this week and what I've got to fix and what I've got to go do that I think about others. Evangelism is very much about just thinking about others, getting our mind off ourself. So you, I'm going to leave these back there and you guys can peruse them. And uh, some of them are double copies in here if you want to take, take one. Oh, and Danelle, you have yours, right? Danelle has her personal testimony, so she'll leave those. You can take all of those. We'll set those up back there because we can print more of hers. Um, and for some reason, I left all mine at home. But uh, I've written it in Russian. I've written it and translated in Spanish. So I'm ready. I'm ready. The other day, I went into a Mexican restaurant. Before I went in, I keep them in my car. I thought, well, there's a good possibility that somebody in there speaks Spanish. <laughs> I'm brilliant, aren't I? <laughs> so I put a couple in there. And I also put a couple of cards about my book, which is also in Spanish. And they can, uh, there's a little QR code, and people can read it in, um, uh, in Spanish. You know, they can get it as an ebook. So anyway, we go in there, and uh, we, I forgot the, the young lady's name, our server. But I went to give her my testimony track as we were leaving. I said, you know, here, I, may I leave this with you? And she said, you've given me one. And, you know, what would your response be normally? Well, okay, see you later. I'm glad you got it. I said, well, have you read it? And I wasn't, you know, I just asked her, have you read it? And she said, no. She said, but I'd like to. So, I, you know, I gave her that copy. And she starts reading it. I said, well, you know, you're working right now. You can read it later. So she goes over to check out. And no matter what I said, she was going to read it. I was trying to dissuade her from reading it right then and there. So I go over there, and she's reading that thing like this and, and uh, just really eat, interested, eating it up. And she's, she's going to, I said, well, I wrote a book. Uh, I get about that much out. She says, I was going to ask you, have you written a book? I thought, why are you going to ask me? And I said, yeah, and here's, a, here's that. So she, it was very interesting to, to follow up. And some people, you know, some, they remember you. How many people are, do you know are giving out your testimony track? Nobody, you know, how many people give out testimony tracks, period? But it's personal, it's you, it's interesting. I'd encourage you to do it. It's we can talk about how to do it sometimes. Very simple. Okay, let's go ahead. So these are some things we can do to prepare to share the gospel. Certainly pray. Pray for specific people. My son and I, we have a 10 most wanted list. You can have an 8 most wanted list, whatever. Just your 10 most wanted people and pray for them by name. People who don't know Christ. Pray for them. Prepare. You know, write your testimony. Or carry. I mean, Chet's always got these Gospel of John's. We use those now. Just have tools. Have some way in Spanish and English. You're going to go be with some Russians? I took Alexander a copy of my book in Russian. He's reading it. He said he really likes it. It's got the Gospel in there. We were talking about that this morning, one of, one of you all, about uh, one of your friends who's not a believer. I said, you know, you can buy my book today. It's got the gospel in it, and it's about relationships. So, but just my point is have tools. Be ready. Be prepared. Be a good Boy Scout or Girl Scout. Initiate. Go and make disciples. You know, go. Jesus said, I came to what? Invite people to church? Incarnational evangelism. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Go to people. Think of, initiate conversation, initiate that you care. Take them cookies. <laughs> Give them gifts. 
I remember Kevin, he's a, a young believer that just got saved this past year. For three years, our house church prayed for this guy. He's my, our lifeguard. He finally gave his life to Christ back this, in, the, in the spring, and he's gotten baptized, and he's part of our house church, and it's been very encouraging to see God working his life. But it took three years of because we couldn't talk very easily in the pool. All these other people around, it just wasn't convenient. But I gave him some of my honey. I'm a beekeeper. I gave him some of my honey. I asked him about his artwork. I showed an interest in his life and what's he asking questions whenever I could. A little short little snippets here and there. You do that so that, Paul said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. It's not just so you can be nice to people and they can like you. But you're coming to seek and to save that which is lost. You're doing all things. Ultimately, you want them to come to Christ, and that's your goal. So initiate and follow up. Sometimes people will follow up with you, like the girl in Mexican restaurant. She was like following up because I can't remember all the people I've shared with before, but she remembered. So this verse is, uh, says from Peter, as we get it all up there, uh, it says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Again, do they see the hope in you? That's the first of all. You've got to be enjoying Jesus. Evangelism and overflow of your relationship with God. If you're not enjoying God, you're not walking with, humbly with God, and, uh, then there's no hope to give. There's, that people won't see it. They've got to, you know, you've got to really be enjoying the Lord and Fill with the Spirit, and then it will, you'll just want to do that. You'll want to pass that on to others. Okay, women in Tanzania going to the well. <laughs> we were in Tanzania, and I'd... How do you, uh, how do you say hello again? Gumbo and poa, right? <laughs> Mambo, poa. So I'd be running down the roads. and <laughs> Mambo, poa, you know. I had all these little boys running with me, and so what I do? I go back there, and I had my testimony track printed in Swahili. And so I go back there, and I went to this one little boy's house with his father and gave him a copy of that and you know, the little books and literature we had. I'm doing all things for the sake of the guy. One little boy ran with like four or five miles in sandals. It's like, aren't you tired? He was like this big. You'd probably see him in the Olympics. Maybe he'll be saved by then. Maybe he'll know the Lord. So that's just why I put that picture up there. Okay. And this is the last thing I want to end with. And uh, I know we don't have time to go into this. I really wish I had time. Read this story. Uh, there is so much in it. John chapter 4. Um, let's just read a little bit. Jesus meets a woman at the well. His disciples had gone off to get lunch, and um, he's there by himself. In verse Ch John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Joseph gave his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, yes, Jesus got tired, had a human body that got tired like ours, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It's about noon. So they're by himself. Jews and Samaritans uh, didn't get along. And men and women, you know, they probably just being nice about it. They didn't like each other at all. They're much of a, a racial problem there. They looked down on 
the, the Samaritans. They didn't associate with them. They didn't want to be near them. And, um, and also, uh, men didn't respect women. Surprise. That's kind of a universal problem uh, back then either. So here we have this situation where Jesus is there by himself, by this well, and here's what happens. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Did anything hit you yet? It sure hit her. What, what do you think she felt? All he said was, give me a drink. What did she feel? Oh, this guy just wants water. I was shocked to even talk to her. Exactly. She was shocked. And she felt what? Come on. What did she feel? Valued. Absolutely. You value me. You respect me. You're honoring me. What does that do when you respect people? Opens them up, doesn't it? You're not coming, get away from me, you scum, you dirt. I don't, you know, I don't want to talk to you. He talk, he initiates. Give me, he's saying much more than I want some water. He's saying, you're valuable to me. I respect you. And you can, you can read the whole story and you'll see it even more loud, loud and clear. She knows what, uh, what's going on. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food, verse 8. And therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, here we go, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan and a woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's just a nice way of saying it. Yeah. They didn't like him at all. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. If you knew who you were talking to and you knew what I could give you, this gift, you would have asked me for living water. And of course, at that point, she's like, uh, What? <laughs> you know, uh, I've never talked to anybody about living water. What, what you know, what's he smoking? What's he drink? You know, Kind of like, what's this guy talking about? Right over her head, because we, you know, she says, "Sir, you have nothing, you know, to draw with, and uh, the well is deep. Where do you get this living water?" So, but he goes on, and he's everybody who drinks of this water, verse thirteen, will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Did he just give it to her? The woman says, Sir, give me, give me this water, and I'll not be thirsty. Come all this way here to draw water. So she still doesn't get it. She still thinks, well, this living water has something to do with this physical water, and I have to come to this place to get it. And uh, so she's still missing the entire point here. And so Jesus says, Go call your husband. Like, wait a minute, he's living water. Why do you want? I don't have a husband. And she says, You're right. You've had five, and the one you're living with now, not your husband. Why did he, you know, kind of want to irritate her, it seems like? Why did he want to uh, talk about personal things? Because she was searching for living water in one sense. She was looking for fulfillment and satisfaction and life in men, and they don't 
give it to us. God never made a man to make a woman happy. God never made a woman to make a man happy. Jesus, standing right there in front of her, will fulfill her, will be living water springing up to eternal life and satisfying. So that's why He's talking about it, specifically with her. And God has to deal with our sin and reveal it to us and show us ourselves so that we will repent and trust Christ. And uh, eventually that's what she does. Um, and so we don't have a lot to, So I just want to... but. Uh, she goes on and is talking about the place, which we think, you know, often that God lives in a building somewhere. And so Jesus says in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. In the context, what's... Where's God right now? He's standing right there in front of her. God's seeking who to be His worshiper? That woman, that sinner, that person He's honored and respected. Look at, you know, you read this and you think about, think about the context. Think about what's going on. And uh, the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. This lady had a very, she had some real good understanding of, okay, a Messiah, a Savior is coming who is called Christ, and that when He comes, He'll declare all things to us. And you just told me about my husband's and the guy I'm living with. So think in context, you know. He's going to declare all things like you just did. And how did you know that? And what else do you know about me? I don't want to know. So this is an amazing encounter here. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. At this point, his disciples came. They were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. And no one said to him, What do you seek? Or why, are you, why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city. She didn't care about water anymore. <laughs> She's going to the city. She goes there and she says, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all things that I have done. They knew what she'd done. And this guy... Total strangers telling me everything about my history. How does he know this? Because he's God. Come see this man. And when you come to Christ and you experience God, you're going to say, your friends, come. I want to, I want to tell you about this man. I want to help you find Jesus like I did. And so she basically tells them you know, what, what that Christ is there and what he's done. Um, I think she's come to know him and put her faith in him. Um, but I think it's very interesting. We, we need to see what these disciples... Again, he's talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan. Remember, we think of teaching as something like this in a classroom setting. Jesus was teaching his disciples that God so loved the world, that God doesn't have favorites, that God is not partial, that God loves Samaritans as much as he does anybody else. And how was he teaching them? Just sitting there talking with her. He didn't say, okay, you all sit down, take your notes, get paper out, parchment, whatever. <laughs> Scribble this down, get out your ink. He just did it. A disciple, as he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. They caught it. Wow. And then not only that, but she said, okay, we're going to go and 
and live in their city for two days. That's what they did. That was powerful. That was teaching without words, by action. They went and lived with these in the Samaritans. Now the other Jews saw this, they'd say, don't tell anybody, don't, you know, please don't, I will, we'll pay you off to not tell anybody what we just did. Jesus is a little crazy, you know. <laughs> He's a little uh, extreme here. I don't know why he does these things and kind of embarrasses us sometimes uh, by loving these people. And then he goes on and he says, He's teaching his disciples, verse 30, For my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. In the context, what is it? His food is loving people and leading them to himself. Loving sinners, respecting sinners. <laughs> he didn't love her sin, but he loved her in spite of her sin. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields of their wife for harvest. If they lift up their eyes, what would they see? This woman. There's the harvest. I care about her. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit to eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in the same case this saying is true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So, hit my food. What does food do for you? Food energizes you. Jesus was energized by being with this woman and talking with her, telling her how she could be forgiven and have know the Messiah, have this living water, know Him personally. My food is to do, to, to do His will. In the context right there, what was it? You will be energized as you share Christ with others. And sharing Christ is for all of us. We're all ambassadors. Sharing Christ is a lifestyle because people are watching you at work. They're watching you with your kids. They're watching you. Do they see God in you? And do we initiate? Are we praying for unbelievers? Well, that's the only way they're going to get saved. <laughs> Because I can't save anybody. You can't. But God has to open their eyes. Um, yeah, love breaks down barriers. You know, it, it can be so much fun. I remember with my son, Matt, one time we, we, we have a, uh, a routine. Every week we meet together and we share and we, uh, what's God teaching you, what are you reading from the Word. And we, then we go out and we, we'll have lunch somewhere usually. And then we go out and we find a place to pray. Usually we go behind buildings because it's safer than in parking lots. Behind buildings, you know, where people have the dumpsters and things, <laughs> so you go back, there's a great place to pray. We walk back and forth and pray for needs in His life and for unbelievers. So one day we're out there praying, uh, and there was uh, an employee on this clothing, was it was a Tom James maybe or something like that. Yeah, it might have been a um, clothing store. And this guy comes out, and uh, I just I didn't want to interrupt our praying, so... I just stopped for a second, had my testimony track there, ready, be prepared. Gave it to him. So this is a little story of how God changed my life, and I was expecting the two of us just to keep right on going on. And he said, well, how did God change your life? And for the next 15 minutes, uh, I think his name was Rashid. I can't remember exactly, but uh, we talked to him a few times after that initial encounter. But for the next 15 minutes, Matthew and I shared the gospel with him. And it was, it, it was really different because we were just laughing. I mean, it was a very serious conversation, but we were just relaxed and laughing and having a good time with this guy. We really connected. 
So it doesn't, you know, we think of evangelism again as just scary and you do it. You know, Chad, can you go talk to this guy for me? You know, but it can be, if we, if we relax, people will relax around you usually. So we tend to forget that we used to be there. We tend to forget and and then we get our Christian friends and we tend to they, they tend to be the people we spend most of our time with or maybe all our time with. And it's good to be out rubbing shoulders and really interacting with them. Then you really see they need that bread. They're hurting. They're lot they're having get divorced. They're separated from their wives and it's like you have the answer. <laughs> you and I we have something amazing to give them. Don't keep your your light under a bushel. Don't hide your little light, you know? Let it shine. And don't, start small. Get, you know, look at some of these testimony tracks. You know, it's real simple to write them. It's fun. You put different pictures on there. Look at, these. some of these are hilarious. Uh, and some of them, you know, just very interesting. It, they're personal. People will read them. And it helps you, it helps you keep thinking about unbelievers. So, well, I guess better pray. I could go on for hours, but I better not. <laughs> Chet will never invite me back. Lord, thank you for this time. And Lord, we all want to be uh, just more compassionate like you are toward people around us. Thank you that we are your ambassadors, that we are your witnesses, we are your children wherever we go. Help us be good ones. Help us be faithful ones. Help us be men and women of integrity. Help us be uh, men and women who are truly on mission. We don't have to get on that plane to become a missionary. It's who we are. We'll be on mission this afternoon and tomorrow and all week. Lord, help us be ready. Help us be prepared. And just pray for these guys here. You'd help them in writing their testimony tracks and reaching out and praying for unbelieving friends by any and every means. We might save some. Lord, raise up more workers for your harvest. The harvest is plentiful and their workers are few. And we ask you for that in Jesus' name. And we thank you. Amen.